You know, I think the stories that I find the most satisfying are the ones that have you wondering how all the separate plots and details have to do with each other. And then, at the end, it all comes together, and you find out why the characters that seem to be irrelevant suddenly have a crucial role to the underlying workings of the plot. When we come to the Bible, it can often be thought that the stories that are in there are just thrown together. What does the crossing of the Red Sea have to do with David killing Goliath? How does the story of the walls of Jericho falling down connect to the story of three men stepping into a fiery furnace and not being burned? They might seem like a collection of stories as opposed to one big story with a unifying theme. And chances are, most of us either had a book of old stories or our grandparents or another family member had one of those books of big stories. It was just random stories put into one book and they were divided up into chapters, but that was nothing more than telling you where to start and stop reading. There was no unifying theme. It was just a book of fables. The stories were great. And they even likely taught us good lessons, great moral stories on how to properly behave or some other moral lesson. But all those stories were detached. They had nothing to tie them all together. Well, I believe that most people, and perhaps many Christians included, look at the Bible in that way. It's there to give us some random stories that tell us how to live and to motivate us. But there isn't an important overarching story that helps us to know God and how he saves us. Well, I would hope that as we've been journeying, journeying through the book of Genesis and now the book of Hebrews, you're seeing that that's not an accurate way to view Holy Scripture. The Bible is the unfolding story of redemption. And it tells us where we came from, why the world is broken, what God has done to fix that brokenness. And it also lets us know where we're going. Well, in our passage today, as we close out Hebrews 11, we see this overarching theme on display. And it also shows us that the people of God have always come to him in the same way, by faith. It is by grace, through faith, that we trust in God and that we hope for something better. And it's the same thing that the heroes of old did. They believed, they trusted God by faith, and they looked for something better also. Well, we have quite a few verses that we're looking at this morning, so we're breaking the passage down into three points to help us to better interpret and understand it. And so to start off with, we see our first point is, is that God tested his people. The stories that we start out with today in Hebrews 11 show us important tests of faith that some of the most well-known heroes of the Old Testament went through. As we've seen so many times in our time in Scripture together, these tests point us to trusting God to truly rescue us. So many of the stories in Scripture show us that only God is the one who saves and that He alone is the one who's going to come and rescue His people. 
Secondly, we're going to see that God rescues his people. We know so many of the stories of the Bible bring the people of God to the point where they're rescued, or they they win victory in a way that only God can have done it. Only God can accomplish it. And these stories point us to the truth that we will not save ourselves. It isn't just the people in these stories that need divine rescue. No, every last one of us in our sin and in our unbelief needs divine intervention to be saved. And finally, we're all looking to the same thing. Saving faith has always been about looking to the promise of God that was far off. All the heroes of the faith aren't saved because they did better good works than you. It wasn't that they were saved because they were better than the people in their own age. They are saved by faith. And because of that faith, they were looking for something so much better. And so as we land in the middle of Hebrews 11, we're transported back to a hero of the faith that we spent a considerable of time with when we were in Genesis not that long ago. In many ways, Abraham is the model of faith in the Old Testament. And we know why that is. He left his family and his country. He abandoned the idolatry of his father's house to follow the one true God. God blessed him and his barren wife with a child even in their old age. And the author of Hebrews has already mentioned this story uh, where we were last week in Hebrews 11. And we shouldn't be surprised that we're coming back to Abraham because of what I've already mentioned. Abraham is the chief example of faith. And as we are seeing, God tested all his people and he clearly tested Abraham. And we're reminded here of his ultimate test of faith, right? After waiting for decades for the child of the promise to arrive, God tells Abraham to offer his son Isaac up as a sacrifice. Now, we looked at this story not that long ago, so I won't go into too many details again because we're wanting to look at the big picture here. God never intended that Isaac would be truly sacrificed as a human sacrifice by Abraham. It was a test. God tests his people. And this test was to see if Abraham finally fully trusted God. Remember the bumps in the road that Abraham had along the way? Oh, he grew impatient and had a child with his wife's handmaiden. He was worried for his own safety, and so what did he do? He put his wife at risk when he lied and told these other rulers that she was his sister. Abraham had some struggles along the way. And so this test, this test of the sacrifice of Isaac, was to know whether or not Abram finally, fully trusted God. But this test also did something else. It pointed us forward. It pointed us forward that that God himself was going to sacrifice his son. He didn't make Abraham do it, but God himself would sacrifice Jesus for our sins. He was going to make the offering that he would not require of Abraham. And so as we look at the details that we see in our passage for today, we learn some important things about the faith of Abraham. We read about what Abraham was hoping for. Now, he received the instructions from God to sacrifice Isaac, but he knew that Isaac was a child of the promise. And so his faith 
was just more than listening to God. It wasn't more than simply following his instructions. It tells us here that he believed that because Isaac was the child of the promise, that if he did sacrifice him, God would raise Isaac from the dead. If he went through with it, he trusted that God was able to raise him. And the point is that Abraham trusted God beyond the moment. He finally was passing the test of faith because he understood who God was and what he would do. He trusted God for something better and a greater promise than what was in front of him. And we read that figuratively speaking, Abraham did receive Isaac back. He was willing to give him up. And so when he was not taken from him, it was as though he received him back because he had been willing to go all the way. When you're willing to give something up and then you find out that you don't have to, probably all been in that situation, right? It's a good thing because you've already dealt with letting go and then you find out that you don't have to. Because giving, being willing to give something up is often the most difficult part of the process, right? Allowing yourself to let go. And that's the idea that the author of Hebrews is expressing here. Abraham was given Isaac back because God himself had provided a sacrifice. And as the story continues, and as we see this here, this big overarching story, we have some more well-known characters that the author of Hebrews is telling us about. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And the author of Hebrews doesn't bring out the tests of faith that they endured, but the big point is that they were looking to something that was distant. They didn't receive the promise itself, but instead they looked to the future. And we can see this in what we have here in verses 21 and 22. It says that Isaac invoked invoked future blessings on his sons. He didn't think that the blessing had already arrived. Jacob did the same thing and trusted that God was doing something greater than just giving them material blessings in Egypt. And Joseph, he looked to a promise that was far off too. Remember back when we were in Genesis, we read about this cave in Machpelah that Abraham bought And we talked about how Abraham was buying a piece of the promised land and owning it legally because he so believed God's promises. Well, Joseph believed God's promises too because at the end of his life, what did he ask? He asked that his bones would be be returned to that cave in Machpelah when he died. And what's the point? Joseph was looking beyond the moment. He was looking to the better promise. And so as we come to verses 23 through 28, we see the continued testing of God's people as we look at Moses. He's the other big character in the Old Testament, right? We have got Abraham, and we've got Moses. And the testing of Moses, we read, began when he was born. He was supposed to be killed when he was born, but his parents decided not to fear men, but instead fear the Lord. And so they kept him hidden And we read that Moses was tempted to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have had the posh and luxurious lifestyle. The temptation to just bask in being the adopted royalty that he was had to have been huge. But instead, we read that Moses allowed himself to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin in the moment. And we see here an amazing statement that helps us to understand the depth 
of what the author of Hebrews is driving home to us here. It says, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now naturally, we read that and think, what is the author of Hebrews talking about? Has he got his testaments mixed up? What, what, is, he, what is he doing? What, what's up with this timeline that the author of Hebrews has? How is he talking about Jesus and Moses knowing who he is? Moses was in Exodus, and we don't have Jesus till Matthew. Well, the point here is that the faith that the heroes of the Old Testament had was always looking to Jesus. It was looking to Christ. Now, they didn't understand fully who Jesus would be and what he would do, but the hope that they were ultimately looking for was not the next child of the promise to be born and their personal great rewards. It was not a plot of land in the Middle East. They weren't ultimately looking for the next child or the next time that they could go into the promised land. That's not their great hope. Their great hope was the Messiah. Their great hope was looking to the one who was promised, who would crush the head of the serpent. And they believed that promise was better than anything else. It was something that was so much better. And we read here that Moses would rather have been scorned for the Messiah than having all the wealth of Egypt. All the wealth that comes with being in the royal family. He would rather be scorned for Christ than to have that. And you can see and understand why this is a test for Moses. How easy would have it been to just sit back in luxury and not care? Instead, he chose the path that God put before him to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And I think that this is a test that you and I can truly relate to. God's call on our life isn't going to have us going to a ruler and saying, let my people go. That's that's not where our life corresponds with Moses. Instead, God's call on our lives is discipleship and it's holiness. And it's far easier to sit back and enjoy our modern, relatively easy life, isn't it? But we're called to take up our cross and follow Jesus and not the ways of the world. But the allure is strong. And so we must daily step forward in faith towards Christ instead of following the temptations of the world. And you and I can look to the example of faith that Moses gives us. By faith he left Egypt and did what God called him to do instead of fearing the powers of Egypt. And we also see that by faith, he kept the Passover. God commanded them to place blood above the doorposts. And not only did Moses keep the command, but the Hebrew people did too. They were tested. They were asked to follow instructions that might not make much sense to them. But what did they do? They had faith. And they believed God. And they were rescued from death. And so what we've seen are examples of people living by faith, and we've seen the tests that they have endured by faith. And in this next section, we see the same type of faith. But our second point shows us that God rescues his people, and it's very clear that it is God alone who rescues. 
Because right off here in verse 29, we see a great example of God's rescue. And once again, it's so important that we see that this is something only God can do. God brought the Hebrews into an area where they could not escape. There were mountains on one side, mountains on another side, the Red Sea in front of them, and raving mad Egyptians behind them. God provided them dry land. He was the only one who could rescue them. But it wasn't dry for the Egyptians. God rescues His people. And when it happens, they know that He is the one who rescued them. That day, not a single Israelite thought, I did it. I saved myself. I escaped the Egyptians. They knew it was the Lord. They knew it was the Lord. And the author of Hebrews also reminds us of another story that only God could accomplish. The walls of Jericho falling down. What a story of following God by faith. Now, if you and I were to devise a plan to take down the walls of a city that was a fortress, we would not come up with the idea of walking around the city for a few days and then on the final day, walking around seven times and yelling and expect the walls to fall down. If I suggested that to you as our battle plan, you'd have me committed. That's not the way things work. It just isn't sound military tactics. But God was the one in control. And we see that this was not just a conquest. It was a rescue that only God could accomplish. Rahab was living in Jericho, but she didn't perish when the walls came tumbling down. She was rescued because she had provided safety to the spies. And so we not only remember that she didn't die when the walls came tumbling down, but we also need to remember something important. She became a member of the covenant people of God. And if you go and read the genealogies of Jesus in the Gospels, what do we find? That Rahab is in the line to Jesus. She was not only spared, but she was brought into the covenant community. And she became an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Her faith rescued her, not only from the walls tumbling down, but from the paganism she was living in. From the unbelief that she had, God rescued Rahab. And as we move on to verse 32, we see that the author of Hebrews could keep this whole discussion going on for a very long time if he wanted to go into all the details of these stories. And, and we know so many of these names as we recall the stories from our Sunday school classes, right? Just the ones we probably know the best are Gideon, Samson, David, and they prove this point. Gideon had to live by faith because God told him to whittle his army down to just a few hundred men. And they won, just as God commanded him. Again, terrible military strategy, but God provided victory. And Samson, he lived by his own strength through most of his story, right? It got his hair cut, it got him imprisoned, his eyes poked out, all this stuff. But at the end, he trusted God by faith, and what happened? He judged the Philistines. And David, how does a young boy have the courage to face a giant while the rest of the army cowers in fear? By faith, that's how. By faith, he knew that God would protect him. And so what did, God, what did David do? He won victory. 
He won victory for the people of God. And ultimately, what did David do? He pointed to the victory of his greater descendant, the Lord Jesus, that would come over sin, death, and hell, our true greatest giant enemy. And as the chapter continues, you have to love the way the author of Hebrews knits the drama of redemption together to make his point. Here are just some of the greater statements. By faith, the people conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice, uh, stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and women received back their dead. These were all things done by God. He gave them the strength and ordained the circumstances of their rescues. Daniel isn't rescued from the lion's den by his own strength. God stopped the mouths of the lions because God rescues. The three men in the fiery furnace clearly didn't rescue themselves. It was God who rescued them because they had faith. And we see here that even when God chose not to rescue some in this life, it tells us that he did ultimately rescue them, doesn't it? Look at what it says. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Even in the face of torture, these people lived by faith. And why was this? What was it that these people who were being persecuted were looking to? Were they hoping that maybe, well, if I suffer here, maybe my children will have a better life? Is is that what they were hoping for? Were they thinking that maybe if people were to see that they were tortured, it would cause a political revolution and things would be better in their country? No. They were trusting God. They were trusting God and believing by faith that there was a better promise. There was an ultimate promise of the Messiah who would come and would crush the head of the serpent. And what were they doing? they were ultimately looking forward to the resurrection. And as we close out with this point, we move on to see something else on display in these last two verses. As I said, they were looking for something better. All these people that the author of Hebrews has memorialized here in this passage ultimately did not receive what they were really longing for, right? The ultimate promise was far off. Yes, Abraham received Isaac as a child of the promise, but he was truly longing for the final child of the promise in the Messiah. And Abraham, he bought a small plot of land in the promised land, but he was hoping for his people to enter the promised land. But we know that that wasn't even the full promise that he was looking to. Abraham was living in hope that there would be a final promised land where the people of God would find ultimate rest in the resurrection. And Moses is another perfect example of this. He led his people to the promised land. But because of his sin, we know he never entered it. He died looking at the promised land from from afar. Isn't that exactly what the author of Hebrews is telling us here? That all of these people were looking to the promised land from afar. They were looking for a better promise. And this shows us, this example of Moses shows us that the land the people were about to enter wasn't the final promise. There was a promise that was coming 
that was so much better, but it was still far off. And we read here why all of this was ordained by God to happen in this way, why the story has taken place. Yes, we look to these heroes of the faith, and we commend them for their faith, and certainly people in their own day would have given them condemnation for being faithful. But as we see, they didn't fully receive and see the promise for a reason. It was to show us that God was providing something so much better. And as we read, it was for this reason, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So let me boil that down for you. The author of Hebrews is saying that this isn't just about the heroes of the faith and them receiving the big reward for what they've done. It says they are not made perfect apart from us. You see, we are all a part of the people of God, and each and every last one of us is saved the exact same way. We look to the promise of Christ rescuing us from our sins by faith. Every person who will be in heaven will be there because they trusted God to save. Now, before the coming of Jesus, they were looking to the promise of the Messiah, the one who would come and rescue his people. We are on the other side of the story of redemption. We trust in the finished work of Jesus because we live on the other side of the cross. But it's the same faith in the same God. The God who rescues his people does it by grace through faith. It isn't just the big-time heroes of the faith who are perfected and receive the reward. You and I are perfected and receive the reward by faith by trusting in the work of the Lord Jesus on our behalf. They were not made perfect apart from us. We are made perfect with them. We are one family, one covenant people of God, and it is all by faith. So big picture, their stories are our stories. They're saved by faith. We are saved by faith. And so as we finish up this chapter, what two points of application can we take away from it? Because we're going to have to step out from here by faith. And so our first point of application today is very obvious. Live by faith. Now, I think it's so important that we stop and we define what we mean by that. You might hear the phrase, live by faith, quite often, actually. But what do we mean when we say that? Were the heroes of the faith that we looked at just wandering about and having faith that something good would would happen to them if they just trusted God? No. They were seeking God. They were following His commands while trusting and looking to the promise That is what it means to live by faith. It isn't blind trust that everything will be okay in the end. Instead, it is knowing who God is and trusting in the promise, even in the face of hardship, difficulties, and persecution. It's about trusting that because I can't reach God on my own, I am trusting Jesus has done it for me. Living by faith is about trusting that the life Jesus lived for me, the death he endured in my place, and the resurrection that proved he was victorious over death is enough. 
That's what living by faith is. Believing that I'm going to hold to that truth and I'm going to believe that it is enough to save. That is how you and I live by faith. And it was the promise that the heroes of old looked to, too. Remember, their story is our story. Secondly, look for the something that is better. And of course, I I don't mean that if we live by faith, we should be looking for a better car or a bigger house. That's not the something better here. That's what our sinful hearts desire. There's something so much better. Because if we think about those things, about the things that we normally desire, it'll all one day be meaningless. It will fade away or it will be gone, and it will all ultimately burn in the end. All those things that we naturally seek after. But we're supposed to seek something better. Now, I was struck pretty deeply as I was preparing about what the author of Hebrews had to say about Moses. Because by our standards, Moses had the world at his fingertips. He had everything we could ever possibly imagine to want. All the material possessions you could ever want in that age. He could have had the easy life. He had servants. He could have had all the money and possessions that he could imagine. But Moses understood that there was something better than all the stuff. And he trusted that Christ was better. Now in our age of affluence, our idea of what is better is distorted, isn't it? We want whatever the next big thing is, and we want better and nicer, even though what we already have is pretty nice. Our struggle then is to shed those desires and those thoughts and instead pray that the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Word, would shape us to have better desires and better hopes. Let us look for the promise as the heroes of the faith did. May we look for the promise of heaven and the final fulfillment of what God has promised in the resurrection. So may we step out from here and desire the something better that God has for us in Christ. And may we faithfully proclaim that truth and live by faith For we know that what we have in Christ is better and greater than anything that the world could ever offer us. Amen.